So Matthew 28, 16 to 20. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So this morning is the last in this short series, exploring together something of our vision for discipleship at Avenue in the coming year. So again, I think in our home group, people are desperately trying to work out, remember what the L's all were, but let's just go for this. So basically, we want to live as disciples of Jesus, who make disciples for Jesus by, and then we've got these three L statements, by learning Jesus. We thought a few weeks we want to, to listen to Jesus above all other voices. We want to be more like Jesus, not just learning about him, but becoming more like him as his spirit works in us. We want to be learning Jesus, loving Jesus and his church. We want to love what Jesus loves, which is his church, his bride, his body. Love one another well as we live for Jesus. And then this morning we're thinking about we want to live Jesus' call on our lives. What does Jesus call us to be and to do in this world? And it's the language of discipleship, living as disciples of Jesus, making disciples for Jesus, as elders, we've been excited by, I want us to sort of dig into and live out together as a church family in the coming year. Because these words we're looking at in Matthew 28, they're maybe very familiar to many of us, but they're hugely important. These are Jesus' last words to his disciples before leaving them to live as his witnesses in this world. They're hugely important. Someone wants to put it like this, Jesus' last words should be our first priority. So the way Matthew writes his gospel, this comes right at the end, where the risen Jesus calls on his disciples, his followers, to make disciples for him of all nations in this world. He calls on them to tell the good news of the gospel to a hurting world. And we need to take this call of Jesus on our life seriously, both as individuals and as a church family together. And I think actually the, the language of discipleship and disciples, it reminds us of some essential truths, I think, that we can sometimes forget. The language of discipleship, it reminds us the Christian life is all about Jesus and the Christian life is all about people. You see, by calling Christians disciples, reminding ourselves at, at its simplest, a Christian is a follower of Jesus, is someone who is learning from Jesus and learning how to grow more like Jesus. The Christian life is all about Jesus rejoicing in who he is and all he's done and won for us, trusting in him to make us right with God, to save us from sin and death, living with Jesus as Lord of our lives, listening to him above anyone and anything else in this world. The Christian life is all about Jesus, but it's also all about people. And Jesus Christ, the perfect eternal son of God, loves to call ordinary, weak, foolish people like us to come and follow him. When Jesus calls us to follow him, we don't follow him on our own in isolation. No, we become part of his church, his family. We join a community of other disciples, other Jesus learners who have been called and rescued by Jesus. And then we learn Jesus together. We love Jesus and his church together. We live out Jesus' call together 
as a community, as we love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another, grieve with one another, speak the truth in love to one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds. The language of discipleship reminds us we're part of a community. We are part of Jesus' disciples. And this morning, I want us to see that it also, this language of discipleship reminds us that the mission and making disciples for Jesus of people who don't currently know him needs to be at the heart of our life together as a church. Again, we're going to see that in the course of the coming months and years, I hope that Jesus call on people to follow him. It transforms our relationship with other disciples. Making disciples is what we do day in, day out as a church, what, what, what husbands and wives do in their relationship as followers of Jesus, what parents do with their children, what friends do with their other friends who follow Jesus. Following Jesus transforms our lives with other disciples, but it also transforms our lives and our attitudes towards people who don't yet know Jesus. And disciples of Jesus are called by Jesus to make disciples for Jesus. That has to be at the heart of who we are. And that's what these last words of Jesus remind us of in Matthew 28, this call to make disciples for him. Let me read that for us again. Then Jesus came to them, verse 18, and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, Jesus wants to call people to follow him from all nations, from every people group, across every cultural and ethnic divide, all people everywhere he is inviting to know him. And he says here that the way he does that is through his disciples living lives that point to Jesus. Again, that, that could go differently. It was like all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So I'm just going to speak in a way that every single person hears my voice and they come to follow me. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. So I'm going to take this on myself, guys. You just sit back because watch me go. But no, he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, disciples go and make disciples. According to the risen Jesus, disciples of Jesus make disciples for Jesus wherever God places us in this world. Disciple making is at the heart of living Jesus' call on our lives. That's what we want to think about this morning. So just say where we're headed. First of all, we're going to look at Jesus' words in Matthew 28 and think what that means and some encouragements for us there. Then we're going to think specifically about that call to evangelism, to make disciples of people who aren't yet disciples. And we're going to look at two very short passages in the New Testament that help us think what is our role in evangelism, what is God's role, and how can each one of us play a part in making disciples in this world. And then finally, we're actually going to have an interview with Laura, one of our church members, as she's going to help us think through what she's been thinking about and reflecting on about this whole call of discipleship on our lives, just as an encouragement and help to all of us to think what that means for us as individuals. So first of all, then we're in Matthew 28. And let's listen again to these words of Jesus. We always need to remember the context of anything that Jesus says, what's gone before, what comes after. So this is the end of Matthew's gospel, where Matthew has recorded for us the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that changes everything in this world. 
Because in his gospel, Matthew's shown his readers that Jesus lived the life we could not live. He lived a life of perfect love for God and love for people. He proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of heaven through his words and through his actions. He put right what was wrong in the world by, by calming storms, by healing the sick, by feeding the hungry. He told people how they could be reconciled to God by repenting and putting Jesus as Lord of their lives. He challenged the arrogant, the powerful, the hypocrites, and he called all sorts of people everywhere to follow him. Jesus lived the life we could not live. And then Matthew records towards the end of his gospel, Jesus died the death we deserve to die. Jesus allowed himself to be handed over to his enemies, to be arrested, to be falsely sentenced to death. And then he took the punishment we deserve for our sin and rebellion against God on himself at the cross. He died the death we deserve to die. Matthew tells us he was buried. And then three days later, he rose again from the dead. Jesus has triumphed over sin and death once and for all, Matthew tells us. And now here he is at the end of this gospel, reunited with his disciples and sharing his victory with them. I just want to pick out a few things from these verses for us to think about this morning. The first is this. Very simply, Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples. That's the clear command, isn't it, in verse 19. Go and make disciples of all nations. So Jesus, as he celebrates his victory over sin and death with his 11 disciples, he makes it clear to them, Jesus wants other people to share in his victory too. He's not content to keep his victory to himself or just to that 11 close friends of his. No, Jesus wants people from all nations to know him, trust him, rejoice in the victory he's won over sin and death for them. And we need to see here that Jesus' love, it's extravagant, it's generous, it's extended to all people everywhere. He's not content just to leave it with these 11 people. I just noticed a few things of the language Jesus uses. He says he commands his disciples to make disciples, not merely converts, not merely people who maybe hear his message and like the idea of it, maybe even pray a prayer, but then go back to life as if nothing has changed. No, this call to discipleship is a call that Jesus wants people who will follow him, who will learn from him, who will live with him as Lord of their lives and whose lives will be transformed as a result. People are going to follow Jesus for all eternity. And we know that because of the method Jesus tells the disciples to use. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That, that language of baptism, it, it's, it's a picture, the sign of a new life lived with Jesus as Lord. The sign that someone now belongs to Jesus' family, to the disciples. They're now living in relationship with the God of perfect love and community, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then following that call to baptize them, he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you, verse 20. See, Jesus calls his disciples to call more people into this life of learning Jesus in community with other disciples. He calls on people to listen to him and obey him in their lives, to grow more like Jesus in this world as we do that. He wants disciples, not just people who pray a prayer and then nothing else changes. 
And again, another really striking thing that strikes me is Jesus doesn't say, go and build my church. He says, go and make disciples. And again, if you were here last week, we need to be really clear that Jesus loves the church. That's one of our three L's. We saw that clearly in Ephesians 4, that the church is Jesus' bride. It's his body. He loves it. And the church at its heart is a community of disciples living together, learning together, loving Jesus together. But actually, in a sense, the call to make disciples is is Jesus calling individual people to follow him and join his church. People matter to Jesus. Individuals matter to him. They are made in God's image. They are precious to him. They are broken by sin and suffering and selfishness. Jesus treats us as individuals, even as he calls us into the community of his people. And each individual must respond to Jesus' call for themselves and become a disciple of Jesus. Again, this whole language of discipleship, it's all about Jesus and it's all about people finding life and forgiveness and purpose following Jesus. One one church leader I know puts it like this. He says, if we make disciples for Jesus, we will build the church. If we aim to build the church, we might neglect making disciples. Again, maybe we just work on the structures. We work on making things run smoothly on a Sunday. But actually we think, what about this call to make disciples, individual men, women, boys, girls, who are living for Jesus, who are following him, who are being changed by him? Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples. That's a very high call. It's a daunting one. I think it should daunt us. But again, the next thing I want us to see is just a beautiful truth here that Jesus calls ordinary, weak people to make disciples for him. Kate's already pointed this out. We look at the Gospels. We see the disciples there. They are people like us. I think as a younger Christian, I would read the Gospels and go, just how thick and slow and annoying are the disciples? And the older I get, I go, thank you, Lord, the disciples were thick and slow and annoying, because that just about sums me up. Jesus calls ordinary, weak people to make disciples for him. Look at just the honesty of Matthew's description here. Verse 16. It's really interesting, Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is speaking with the 11 disciples. It's a bit, it's sort of, it's going, oh, hang on, weren't there 12? Weren't there 12? What's 11? Because one of them betrayed Jesus. One of them betrayed the other disciples, Judas. He's not there anymore. Jesus' disciples are standing around the risen Jesus knowing failure. Knowing someone they loved is no longer with them knowing weakness and betrayal, knowing that they were not spiritual giants. And then verse 17, again, this remarkable little fact, little detail that Matthew records, when they saw the risen Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. It's amazing. How many people here would say, if only I could have been there, if only I could have seen the risen Jesus physically in front of me, I could see the nail marks in his hands, I could see the marks in his feet, I could see so clearly he's the same Jesus and he's risen and he's triumphant, then I would never doubt him again. And yet here we have the disciples. Some of them doubted. So is this too good to be true or could this really have happened? These are ordinary, weak, flawed people. They're not spiritual giants. They're not free from the fears and doubts we all experience. No, Jesus calls ordinary, weak, flawed people 
to live as his disciples who make disciples for him in this world. God has always used weak people for his purposes. I think that's really good news for every single one of us as we think about what it means for us to live Jesus' call. And alongside that honest description of just how weak the first disciples were, Matthew wants to be utterly clear with us that the power to make disciples for Jesus doesn't come from us. It comes from the risen Jesus. That's verse 18 again, the way Jesus opens. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. The authority doesn't come from us. Again, some people think our Christians are very arrogant. They, they're kind of forcing their worldview on other people. And, and sometimes, sadly, Christians can be arrogant and do that. But, but actually, here Jesus is clear. The authority to do what we do, the authority to make disciples for him, to share Jesus with others, doesn't come from us because we're, we're, we're strong people, we're good people, we're spiritual people. The authority comes from Jesus because he calls us to do it and enables us to do it. Verse 20, his closing words here, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Again, I've called these Jesus' last words. Jesus is getting ready to leave his disciples, to ascend to heaven, to sit at the Father's right hand. But at the same time, Jesus says, actually, I'm never going to leave you. I am with you, disciples. He is near his people, with his people, at work in his people, as his disciples make disciples for him. Again, we're not on our own in this. We're not trying to manufacture the strength to live as disciple-making disciples. No, Jesus promises to be with us. And he promises to work through our efforts to accomplish his purposes, both in the lives of people we want to tell about Jesus, but also equally in us, as we are made more dependent on God as we seek to do that as we seek to live lives transformed by Jesus that will attract other people to Jesus. The power doesn't come from us. It comes from him. Jesus wants his disciples to be clear. He is the risen Lord of heaven and earth, the Lord of the whole universe, the Lord of our lives and every aspect of our lives. So in that sense, actually, when we think about living Jesus' call in our lives, there's actually the whole Bible shows us what that looks like. There's so much we can learn from the whole of God's word of how we live every moment of our lives under Jesus' lordship. And it gives astonishing meaning and purpose to our lives in this world. Just one um, section from the letter to the Colossians in the New Testament that always sort of helps me see this, I guess. There's, and whatever you do, writes Paul, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And look at the way Paul puts it, whatever you do, word or deed, that's kind of trying to cover everything. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is Lord over every area of your lives. That changes everything you do and are for him. Changes the way you approach a day in the office or cooking a meal or caring for a sick child or listening to a struggling friend or going for a run or watching a movie or discussing politics it changes everything because Jesus is Lord. Everything we do, says Paul here, is an opportunity to worship Jesus and witness to Jesus. He is the Lord of heaven and earth and every area of our lives can be lived and should be lived for him as an act of worship and an act of witness.
But I want us to focus for the remainder of our time on that witness part of us living Jesus' call on our lives. What is our role in making disciples of people who aren't yet disciples, also known as evangelism, I guess? When it comes to evangelism, what is our role when we want to live Jesus' call? What do we have to do? What what is God doing? How can we live out Jesus' call on our lives? Because I don't know about you, even the word evangelism can terrify me. Often I think about this disciple making and I feel, I feel guilty, I feel fearful, I feel unsure of what to do. I want to see my friends and family members who don't know Jesus come to know Jesus. I'm going to see some relatives this week. I want to see them trust in Jesus, but I don't know what that looks like a lot of the time. I'm, I'm unsure what is my part to play. And actually, it feels like a real gift from God to me that I got to spend this week preparing this message because I just, I've been really helped by looking at some of the New Testament's teaching on this. Because I think there, we can actually summarize in large part our role in evangelism as this. We live for Jesus together. We love our neighbor. And we ask God for opportunities. That's maybe not radical. That's maybe not rocket science. But it's really helped me this week. That's a biblical picture, I think, of how the whole church, every single Christian, can play our part in making disciples for Jesus in the places and with the people God has called us to live for Jesus together. Love your neighbor. Ask God for opportunities. Just before we unpack that a bit, just I'm going to stick a few books up on the screen that I think have really helped in thinking through evangelism. Again, books on evangelism are are daunting and maybe not always very appealing, but actually, trust me, these are actually genuinely really good. One is longer than the other. They're on the table there. And we've got Stay Salt by Becky Manley Pippert. We did some course from her um, in our home groups a couple of years ago. Um, And then we've got um, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. Um, That's a really helpful book. Again, that's slightly thinner. That might straight away win it for you, but both are hugely helpful and thinking about evangelism. So do have a look at those if you want to at the end. But that summary, I guess, we want to live for Jesus together, love our neighbor, and ask God for opportunities. I think there's something hugely liberating about this. Because just to unpack that a bit, so if you were here last week, and sorry if you weren't, but if you were here last week, we looked at Ephesians chapter 4, and in that passage, the Apostle Paul describes four groups of people the risen Jesus gives as gifts to his church to equip his people for works of service. They are the the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. And evangelist is kind of tricky to define. It's only that nine's only used three times in the New Testament, but it seems to refer to people particularly gifted at spreading the gospel, at making gospel opportunities, who then encourage and equip the rest of God's people to do the same. So in that regard, actually, we need evangelists. Every local church, every group of local churches need evangelists. There are gifts to the church. And if you think you might be an evangelist, somebody actually says, well, actually, I don't feel too daunted by that. Actually, I think I do enjoy those conversations. And please, would you use that gift to equip and encourage the rest of us? We need evangelists to use their gifts in a church to encourage the rest of us to play our part. But it also seems clear from Ephesians 4 that we're not all evangelists in that sense just as we're not all apostles or prophets or pastors and teachers. But then we've got to think, well, Matthew 28, Jesus seems to say that every Christian is called to evangelize, to play our part in making disciples for Jesus wherever he places us. So what should that look like for an ordinary disciple? 
And I think there are two passages in the New Testament, actually really only two passages that speak clearly, I think, to how every Christian should share the good news. I'll put them on the screen here. They're Colossians 4, 5 to 6 and 1 Peter 3, verse 15. So these are speaking not to, to church leaders, but they're speaking just to ordinary Christians, the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter writing. So Colossians, the Apostle Paul, he says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Then the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter, he says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. I want to say that, suggest this morning that, that the biblical pattern for evangelism that every believer gets to play is we need to be ready to respond to every opportunity God gives us to speak of Jesus. And how those opportunities come is that we live for Jesus together. We love our neighbor and we ask God for those opportunities. And I think it, it's simple, but it, I think it is liberating. I think this pattern of evangelism, it, it leads us to pray. Again, some of us, we, we, we hear the words of Jesus going, right, right, where do I get started? We just kind of head straight off and we think, I can do this, Jesus. And very quickly, we face disappointment. Others just go, get paralyzed. But for all of us, actually, this is an invitation to pray to the sovereign, loving God for opportunities to speak of Jesus to the people around us. We don't need to manufacture or force those openings. We're called instead to be ready to make the most of them, to be prepared, always prepared, says Peter, when people ask us about the hope that we have. Again, I think that removes strain and false guilt, that sense of, I've got to force an opening here. No, you don't. You just have to love the person in front of you and pray for opportunities to speak of Jesus. I think it helps us develop genuine friendships. We're not just loving people as a project or someone to kind of assuage our own sense of guilt. We get to love people for who they are, to get to know them, to listen to them, but all the time praying, Lord, just show me. How could I speak of you in this situation? How could I point to you in this relationship? It's a call to live a distinctively Christ-like life. And I said, in one sense, it's liberating. But in another sense, it's massively challenging, isn't it? We need to live our lives for Jesus in a way that provokes questions from the people around us. But it's fascinating, actually, Paul and Peter are just both just are just assuming that's going to happen if we are living for Jesus together. If we are loving our neighbor, those questions will come. His, the call for both these apostles is just be ready for when they do come. We want the way we act, the way we live to be wise, to be distinctive, to point people to the grace, love, and character of Jesus. We want the way we speak to be, as Colossians says, full of grace, seasoned with salt, to speak words of hope in a hopeless world, to speak words of, words of justice in a world that longs for justice, speak words of mercy in a world that doesn't know how to forgive. We need to have words that are shaped by the gospel of Jesus. We want our minds shaped more and more by who Jesus is, how he has treated us and the hope we have in him so that we will learn to love the way he first loved us. And for that to happen, we need to be a community that is learning Jesus together. 
That is loving Jesus in the community of his people, speaking the truth and love to each other and asking one another, pray for me, pray for my family, pray for my friendships, pray for my work colleagues. We all have a part to play together in this. We're not lone wolf evangelists. The reality is for a lot of us that there may be people we know who don't yet know Jesus. Maybe we're the only Christian they know. Maybe that's in a workplace or, or a family group. But actually, we need to ask one another then, pray for me as I spend time there. I might be physically on my own, but I'm actually still part of God's people. And they're praying for opportunities as I am to speak of Jesus. Again, that's, if you like, the summary for ordinary every Christian evangelism and disciple making. Live for Jesus together. Play your part in that community of disciples. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor as Jesus loves them. For that, you need Jesus' help. And then ask God for opportunities. Our good friend, Dan James, will be on the Irish Monster this morning. He quotes Becky Manley Pippert to me all the time. He doesn't put on an American accent, which I appreciate. Um, but there's a line she has, which is just hugely helpful. It's just this, evangelism is both easier than we think and harder than we imagine. And once it's easier than we think, because it's just about loving people. It's about listening to people, about getting to know people, about getting into their world, just kind of like sharing life together. In that sense, it's easy. It's not a technique, it's just loving people. It's harder than we imagine because actually ultimately only God has the power to give life to the dead and open the eyes of the blind. We can't do that ourselves. None of us can make someone a Christian. The power to do that comes from the risen Jesus. But we can play our part in dependence on him and we can know with confidence from Matthew 28 and the rest of scripture that Jesus wants to do his work of making disciples through us, through ordinary, weak, flawed people like us as we depend on him, as we live for him, as we love the people around us in a way that points them to him. So that is living Jesus' call on our lives. Disciple making is about a lot more than just evangelism. Disciple making is about a huge amount of how we love one another, live alongside one another. But Jesus is clear in Matthew 20. It's also about getting that good news of Jesus out to people who don't yet know it, to a hurting world. And we each have a part to play in that. You might not feel like an evangelist, but you can live for Jesus as part of this church. You can love the people in your life and you can ask God for opportunities and be ready to make the most of them.